0: Welcome to the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. Each episode, we bring you powerful conversations with thought leaders in the dental, veterinary, optometry, and medical industries. At Fortune Management, we coach doctors and teams to have an extraordinary practice and an extraordinary life. I'm Kim McGuire, host of the Practice Mastery Podcast. Today I am honored to have Dr. Michael DeTola on the show. He is the Director of Clinical Affairs at Dentsply Serona and also the director of Dentsply Serona World, formerly Zero World. In this episode, we'll recap Zero World 2016, discuss what's in store for DS World 2017, and also you'll hear Dr. DeTola's tips on integrating digital dentistry into your practice. Always entertaining and lots of fun. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. DeTola. Dr. Michael detola welcome to the show.
1: Kim, how are you doing? I feel like we know each other well enough where you can please please just call me Mike for the rest of the interview. I can't I can't imagine having to say Dr. DeTola every time you want to ask me a question.
0: Oh, I absolutely thank you, thank you. I, you know, we're old friends. We met each other at Sierra World. Um, well, Michael detola is the uh, director of clinical affairs at DenSpicerona Dental and. One of the things I love about about you, Mike, is that you are the MC at Cyril World. So why don't we talk about how that event happened just a couple of weeks ago? How was Cyril World this year?
1: It was um, amazing, if I say so myself. And I know that sounds like um, that sounds like every parent talking about how uh, beautiful their child, their newborn child, is, even though they all kind of seem to look the same. But I, I'd like to think that I have a a little perspective on it because the word amazing was used by a lot of the people who attended it. So I would say one of the funnest parts of my job, definitely the funnest part of my job, is that in addition to being the uh, director of clinical affairs, I also get to be the director of Ciro World. And it the the very first one we put on, you know, it kind of grew out of the uh, meetings of the past, you know, CERIC twenty five, twenty-seven and a half, CERIC thirty. Mm-hmm. And you know, knowing that um, that the merger uh, was going to happen, um, we decided just to make it a a bigger, a broader meeting. So it would not just be covering topics like chairside CAD CAM, digital impressions, and like three D cone beam X rays. It would really expand and and have tracks for endodontics, implants, orthodontics, hygienists, and and office staff and Kind of develop it into something that looked more like a version of your state dental meeting, except hopefully kind of um, amped up a lot because we tried to pull together the best speakers in dentistry and the best uh, entertainment in dentistry and combine it into a meeting that hopefully you really can't find anywhere else. You can find you know dental education at your state meeting, and you can find great entertainment in your city, if it's a big enough city and you get big name acts to come into town. But we we wanted to be able to put those two together. And so our first attempt to put all those educational tracks in the attainment together was what you saw at Zero World uh, 2016 in Orlando, Florida. And, uh, you know, first we were worried About getting enough people to come because we had always had the meeting in Las Vegas and it had always been every five years or every two and a half years. So this was the first time it was going to be an annual meeting, and it was also the first time we switched it to Orlando. And so I remember the feeling of uh, throwing parties in high school and being terrified that nobody was going to show up. You know, to me that would just be the ultimate. Insult, I'd almost rather have a bunch of people show up and not like the party than, than just nobody show up. And <laughs> right. That was our first fear was that we had gone so far off book by going to Orlando instead of Las Vegas. And by, you know, because we decided to do an annual meeting, we didn't have as much time to plan it and secure a hotel. So we had to do it in August in Orlando. And we were just, we were afraid of that, too, that it was going to conflict with people's vacations. And just hearing the phrase August in Orlando, you know, nothing (laughs) says like Groupon quite like that. Like, well, they must have gotten a huge discount Mm -hmm. for having it then. But the truth is we just planned it so late (laughs) that nothing else uh, was available. But people, yeah, they supported it and they turned out and we had, uh, you know, over 4,500 dental professionals there. And we put together what hopefully was a great educational experience. We had um, Jerry Seinfeld uh, yeah. there as part of the entertainment. Um, Sir Richard Branson was there and we had the band um, One Republic there as well. So that's uh, that's just over a million dollars just in, in entertainment alone. And thankfully, people, you know, from some combination of the entertainment and education, they signed up for the meeting and they came out to the meeting and you were there, Kim. It's it was Iowa. it was a really kind of a special feeling to the meeting that we haven't seen anywhere else. And a, a part of that was the resort was almost an island unto itself. It was surrounded by a golf course that was being redone by the hotel, which we didn't realize at the time it was <laughs> going to be out mm-hmm. of commission. And it was hot and muggy enough outside that it was kind of tough to leave. I, did you did you leave many times <laughs> you know, while you were there?
0: It's really funny. I was just mentioning to somebody earlier. I literally only left the hotel because I was one of the lucky people that had the, a hotel room on site. I only left to go do Billy Blank's um, workout in the morning on Saturday morning. <laughs> that was the only time I left. <laughs> so I agree that it was it was a perfect place because you are really enclosed there, but you could focus on the event. And we just you just took over the whole place, and it was just t- incredible.
1: Yeah, we literally rented out every room, and obviously that'd be pretty tough to do um, at the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas where we had CEREC 30 because it's just such a a massive hotel. So we rented out the entire uh, hotel, and you're right, the people who signed up early got to stay at the hotel, and the ones who signed up later had to take a shuttle bus over, but there was six restaurants and four bars inside the hotel, so people didn't have to leave to go outside to eat because- it was all just all us. Everybody you saw in there was uh, was a dentist, or you know, one of their office staff members, or one of the exhibitors, or a Patterson, or a Serena or Dentsply employee. And so, when you walked into the restaurants or you walked into the bar, everybody there was on the same kind of dental team. And so, you saw speakers. And uh, attendees having drinks together, having dinner together. And it led to this atmosphere that we didn't expect at all. It was almost like being on a cruise ship. You know, you just spent these three days together and everywhere you walked there, everybody was. And it led to this kind of communal feeling that I'd like to say we intended for it to happen, but it didn't happen uh, on purpose. It just kind of happened because of the, the physical structure Of the hotel and the fact that it was hot and humid outside. And it led to this really special meeting experience that um, really resonated on a level. Even though Sarek 30, you know, was a big uh, Mm -hmm. uh, anniversary celebration of 30 years and it was a, a little bit bigger and it was in a much bigger place at the Venetian, this had a different feel to it. And a lot of the attendees who went to both of them had a more special feeling. Uh, about this particular meeting. So it was neat. It was fantastic to kind of say it hit like that. We had more first time attendees at uh, Sarah World 2016 than any other meeting that we've done before. And that was kind of part of the magic, too. They had never seen the type of show that that we like to put on. And so um, the signups for next year at the meeting were Amazing! There was over 600 people who signed wow. up before they even left. Uh, oh, that's amazing on, on Sunday. And so, yeah, we can tell that it did resonate with people, and that they're going to uh, come and and show up for, for next year's meeting too. And it, it took it took me a while to even figure out why it was so sp- special and why it hit so big. Uh, with attendees, and I want to ask you. I don't know how much of the general session or the entertainment you got to see, but what were you, what were some of your highlights? From yeah, Sarah World 20.
0: Well, I was pretty. Much, well, I was there the whole time. Of course, Fortune we have a large presence there with be, having a booth, and of course, I was very honored to be part of the speakers. So I was at all of the general session pretty much, except for some a couple of times here and there where I had to support some of my speakers and support our booth. The energy was amazing. The speakers, the variety of folks that you had up on stage, were, were it was awesome. Of course, you you all put on quite an amazing show. I I told a couple of my clients that I had come for the first time. I said, "This is not going to be like the ADA or any of the local shows we have here in Colorado." And and I don't think that they completely understood that till they got there. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld, my face hurt <laughs> for for an hour afterwards. I was laughing so hard, and then of course. You did an incredible job with Sir Richard Branson. He is one of my um, people that I really admire and have for many, many years as being just a fearless entrepreneur. And we got to really your conversation with him. We really got to see a whole another side of him that we don't typically get to see. So, um, and then as a speaker, and I really went around to witness the rest of my Fortune Management team speaking. The audience is so engaged. People are asking questions. They're participating. And you don't typically get that, so um, it, w- it was incredible. And then, and then also at the booth in the trade show area, the doctors and teams that are there are eager to learn. They're hungry. They're progressive. They're wanting to be the best. They want. They're wanting to learn, and they're humble enough to know that they don't have all the answers. So, as a vendor, it was an incredible experience as well. Loved it.
1: Yeah, and the the interesting thing about the um The Richard Branson interview was that uh, as far as we knew, we had signed him up to do um, an hour long talk. And it was about two or three weeks before Sarah World happened, where one of his people contacted us and said, hey, you know, Richard really doesn't like to stand up in front of a microphone and do talks. Would it be possible to do it as an interview? And we were kind of like, "Okay," (laughs) And so I like ordered all of his audio books and like started my in-depth research into the life of um, of Richard Branson. And, um, they said, Oh, he wants to meet you Mike like 20 minutes before. So you guys can just say hi to each other and have, and have a cup of tea. So British. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> so I met with him and, uh, for about 20 minutes beforehand. And I was instantly struck that this entrepreneur slash daredevil slash philanthropist was so soft-spoken And and was so quiet. And when I met him, I kept waiting for, uh, oh, not necessarily a Donald Trump personality, but maybe a Mark Cuban personality or John Legere, the CEO of T-Mobile, just kind of a bigger personality. And you know, ten minutes into talking to him for twenty minutes backstage, I realized, oh, this is he is this um, soft-spoken. And so, you know, the the interview was fun for me because. I felt like I could, um, you know, having listened to all three of his audio books, you know, I knew a lot of the stories of his life and it was fun for me to kind of lead him down a pathway that I thought would be really entertaining in terms of, of telling stories. And, uh, you know, I scoured the Internet for pictures that would remind him of different things. And it uh, it was really fun. And that interview hit hit really big, too, and people really enjoyed that. And so it kind of opens the window for us to do an interview um, at next year's meeting as well, because that's always the tough slot to fill. The the slot for the band is easy. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just have to cough up a ton of money and find a really popular (laughs) Mm -hmm. band. The comedian slot is pretty easy as well. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld's a no brainer, but there's lots of funny comedians and you just you know have to select somebody who's not so filthy that they're going to sure. offend mm-hmm. um, everybody in the audience, which is pretty easy to do. And most comedians can work clean. But that celebrity spot where we had uh, Tony Robbins last year and Sir Richard Branson this year, that's a tough one because finding a celebrity who wants to give a 60 minute talk, who's not an ex president or politician and, sure. and kind of divisive based on uh, political lines, it's a really difficult spot to find somebody because that that spot needs to sell some tickets as well. So the combination of Branson, Seinfeld, and One Republic all together sold tickets. I don't know that one of them, you know, on its own would necessarily sell tickets. It's right. kind of you know the, the sum of the parts, and so you need a name there. And now that we found that an interview can work really well, now all of a sudden there's a lot of you know comic actors and other personalities who we can bring out there and do an interview with them. And knowing ahead of time, we're going to do it, you know, let them know we're going to play around a little more and do some, some funny stuff. So I feel like that I'm so glad Branson wanted to do an interview because now we could take people who don't typically give speeches like a Steve Carell or somebody Mm -hmm. who is funny, but doesn't want to sit down and write a 60 minute keynote speech. Now all of a sudden we can do an interview together and show some clips from TV shows and movies. So it'll be a little more like, um, you know, inside the actor's studio than necessarily having somebody get up and give a 60 minute keynote.
0: <laughs> that's so funny that you should mention inside their actor's studio. That is exactly what I was thinking of when you said you listened to the audiobooks and you looked for, you know, photos online, you know, you were being just, just like that show. That's awesome. I do think that's true. It opens up, you know, a great opportunity for you all. And what I took away when I brought back to folks that didn't go or clients that were there is the lessons that you can learn from these folks from a great interview. It's just like when you watch an interview on TV, but it's like, what can you take back from Richard Branson? What, how he was fearless. He, He, you know, pushes the boundaries. How can you take that back to your dental practice and be a great leader and inspire people to do things that maybe are a little out of your comfort zone? And I love it.
1: Yeah. You know, he, he really, um, he's not, and I realized pretty quickly going through his stuff that he's not the kind of guy who's going to stand up and go, here's the 10 things you need to do to double your practice. You know, he's, and he's not going to be all the energy of, of Tony Robbins who fortune practice management was nice enough to help us, you know, basically get us to be able to book, which went over huge at at Sarek 30. And, uh, I certainly wouldn't rule out us, you know, begging you guys to bring Tony back again <laughs> at a future meeting, but that's not, that's not, uh, Richard's style. He doesn't have like bullet points. He he's kind of an example of hire, you know, the, the best people, uh, you can find and, um, and then give them free reign. You know, he doesn't like to, uh, he talks about herding cats and not herding sheep. In other <laughs> words, sheep all follow along and they'll do what you tell them to do. And uh, he he wants to hire cats, and he knows that you know they're crafty, they're agile, they'll make decisions on their own. And every once in a while, you're going to have to chase one down and bring it back to the pack. But that's that's who he's looking for. Uh, as an employee, and then he talked about you know their work from home initiatives and their unlimited vacation time, and uh, <laughs> right. and how everybody gets to take time off to participate in the Virgin charities, and it's really just this kind of atmosphere of loving and caring. And he talked he hates how corporations throw the word family around too much, and he says you know I truly want to make our employees a family. And it really does apply to a dental office because we're all crammed into this small little space, spending more time with our staff members. (laughs) You awake than we do with our own families for the most part. And you do become uh, a family. So yeah, his, his lessons are um, a a little more subtle than here's 10 things you need to do when you get back on. Right.
0: Exactly. You know, I, I took a lot away from, from him. Well, like I said, I really admired him. And there were some photos that you put up there on the screen of him and his little working with his kids around. And he just always worked from home. And he was always had that. And I, I'm i sitting here in my home office. I work from home as most of the, if not all of the fortune coaches do. And my kids are eight and five right now. And they see mommy working now, not all the time. And I'm, I'm really working on separating it out. But I, it really made me reflect on if they see me working and enjoying what I do, what an impact that could have on them instead of hiding myself away in my office. So it, there were so many great lessons there. It was, it was terrific. It was really awesome. Yeah, and
1: he he, he works um, a lot from a hammock, which is even <laughs> yeah. better. That's like the <laughs> ultimate. And I told him that on stage. I was like, you're the ultimate um, stay at home dad. I mean, you've really kind of, it's kind of tough to do dentistry that way, but he always, he never wanted to have uh, a desk. And anytime they tried to give him a desk at at Virgin headquarters, (laughs) he would just kind of push it away and say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. So we are going back to, um, Las Vegas. I think it's next year. You know, we announced that at the meeting this year that and it's going to be in September. It's not going to be in August. Thank goodness, because August was an experiment that we don't want to necessarily repeat. And we're going back to um, the Venetian again. And this will be our our biggest meeting there. So um, it's actually because of the merger. Now, um, we're calling it Dentsply Sirona World instead of just Ciro World. So uh, Dentsply Sirona World 17 um, is September 14th. Uh, through the 16th at uh, the Venetian Hotel and Casino, and of course, there's more distractions there than there was at the Rosen uh, Shingle Creek. Uh, but that, <laughs> yeah. but that's okay because we uh, we trust people uh, to come to the breakouts, and and they attend. You know, people who are there uh, want to learn, they want to help their practices. I mean, it's so nice that we have a, a, a practice management partner like Fortune Practice Management to really. Kind of help us put together that um, that practice management track, so uh, doctors can attend and and really know that there is a way for them to step their practice up and be different. You know, part of it might be chairside CAD CAM. Um, part of it might be just looking at their attitude towards the the staff and the practice and what they can do just to improve the uh, the overall mood there. And I would be remiss, uh, Kim, if I didn't tell you I just yesterday received the final. Speaker rankings for um, everybody from Cyril World uh, 2016. Uh, what we did was, in order to get CE units, you you had to fill out um, an evaluation because we really take mm-hmm. the evaluations um, seriously. And uh, let me be the first to tell you that you crushed it and you got very, very high marks. You were oh. within um, within points of the the first place person. So congratulations! Thank you for doing. Such a good job. This is nothing that we ever, like, publish online. Wow, thank hey, you. Hey, here's the rankings of all the speakers, but uh, since I just had it sitting on my desk and we happened to be talking, I didn't get a chance. I was so busy backstage, I didn't get a chance to poke my head into a lot of, well, any of the breakouts, actually. But um, you did it really you. well. Thank you. Very, very highly with the attendees, so whatever you did worked
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. That was, it was an honor to be there. And I want to talk a little bit about Dents by Serona World next year. Are you all going to repeat the different tracks of the endo, ortho, perio, etc? Because I think that was an awesome addition that you did this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are definitely going to do that. Um, we might pull back the overall number of breakout sessions. It was a little unwieldy, you know, so instead of maybe having, you know, 10 courses, you know, for every track, we might just let um, the track say, hey, we've got six quality courses we want to do, or we got three great courses that we want to repeat twice. Um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll probably do that just to make it easy on attendees because the schedule ended up um, being like a, a a confusing board game or a game <laughs> of Jenga or something where there's like so many moving pieces that It almost made it too difficult for them to wait. wait, Turn back to Thursday. I mean, turn back to Friday morning. What was that? Is that the same one that's on Saturday afternoon? So I think um, it it might get a tiny bit smaller in terms of the number of courses. But yeah, all those tracks will continue um, to be there because they all did really well. And if we do add another track, it's going to be for an area that I feel strongly about. And it's going to be a dedicated dental assistant track. As a practicing dentist, I I just know that I can't do any, well, you can't do anything without any of your office staff, but you have a, you know, you spend most of your time working with your chair-side assistants. And when it comes to implementing technology like CEREC, like a lot of the Fortune practice management docs have, you're kind of taking this step into this new area of dentistry, this computerized area of dentistry, where maybe the dentist isn't um, completely, Uh, Computer proficient, maybe not even as good as the the staff who might be a little bit younger. But when it comes to actually designing the crowns, milling them, staining and glazing them, um, most of the time, at least for the bigger practices, the offices that are really having success with single visit dentistry, they have a lot of buy in from the staff and a lot of involvement from the chair sites, who for them it's an exciting new project that represents something probably the most exciting thing they might do as a chairside assistant they relish the opportunity to get to do something like this and uh they can make the temporary crowns they can certainly make the permanent crowns uh as well and all they have to do is make you know 50 of them to get good at it you just gotta you know give them set aside a week for that assistant so they can make 50 in a week on different models and not have them do 50 over a year uh, which is too long of a learning curve. And I spent 15 years, you know, practicing inside of Glidewell Laboratories. And we took people off the street, Kim, you know, people who had no <laughs> dental experience at all mm-hmm. and trained them to design crowns in a week and, and trained them to stain and glaze crowns in a week so it can be done. Most dentists just want to do it a crown at a time. But, you know, just kind of pretend that you've sent your dental assistant away uh, to CAD CAM camp. For a week, where and and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and have her go to the side and make fifty crowns on her own while you have somebody fill in. Um, and by the time they do fifty crowns in a week, they will know it uh, backwards and and forward. So I'd love to have a dedicated chair side assistant um, track as well. I'd like to hear from you. You work with some. Uh, so, a pretty successful practices—the the ones that have integrated CEREC into their daily routines—what what kind of involvement do you see for the staff members? Oh,
0: Oh, one hundred percent. That is the way that they will that they will implement CEREC in a quality way in their practice to make it worth it to spend the money on the machine and also the efficiency. The practices that I see that are doing the best with it, yes, the chairside assistants have gone to training either locally here at our local Patterson branch, or they've gone down to Scottsdale to the Scottsdale center and had some training down there, the doctor must invest in them as well so that they can be a great, you know, right-hand person, like you just said, to to design the crown. And then the doctor can be doing all the other things that they, they want to be doing, um, you know, as far as exams and doing some other, just utilizing your auxiliary folks is one of the most important Ways of the future, as we are, as we know, you know, the future is um, changing and we're using a lot more technology. We need to be more efficient, you know, better, faster and um, more affordable, right?
1: Yeah. uh, Well, yeah, better, more, well, (laughs) better, faster, uh, higher quality, Um, more affordable for the would be. Yeah. yeah what nice I mean too, by this is
0: more affordable, either for the patient or for the practice, they're more efficient. So they're probably going to be more profitable. So, so there's that as well, but yeah, I think that's a terrific idea. Have the um, chair side assistant track and that will motivate a lot of doctors to bring their, their assistants down there. And I love the CAD cam camp. That's terrific. What a great idea.
1: Yeah. Because you, you can send them for training, but the, re- the reality of training is they will get trained, but unless you come back, and start doing it right away, um, those skills are going to fade. So while I was practicing at, at Glidewell, I would use my Omnicam, I would take the digital impression, and then Cindy, my technician, would run up and grab a thumb drive with the file on it. She would design the crown, she'd mill it, stain it, and glaze it. And so I didn't know how to make crowns on the CEREC machine because I didn't have to. It was <laughs> kind of the best of both worlds, actually. And But once I Join the company, then all of a sudden you have to learn um, how to be able to do this, and and that's how I learned. If I had just gone to a class, and I did, you know, I and went to a class or two, and then you don't do it, you don't learn. But if you go to a class and then come home and do it fifty times in a week, you you know it in your sleep, and you will literally never forget how to do it. And most importantly, you will reinforce your learning and learn even more when you teach someone else yes. how to do it, like another one of the chairside. Um, assistance that you're going to teach or even the doctor. Doctor it doctors, it turns out, can learn how to do that too. Although most of them would rather go to another operatory and, and prep another, you know, crown or two <laughs> right. than they would stain mm. and, and glaze a crown. So like you said, it's an investment in your staff and it's a realistic approach to training. No nobody has an orientation if they start a new job where the training takes place over 50 weeks. You know, it's it's it would it needs to be done over a week and then the staff forgets about it. And for the doctor, the experience is a lot like doing the crown that would be sent to the lab. They prep mm-hmm. the crown. Um, the impression gets taken. Maybe they take the shade and then they walk out of the room and go do something else, except instead of going to the lab, you've got somebody there who makes it. So, um, yeah, I, that's one of the things I'd like to add at, uh, at 2017. That was the only place where I felt like we did have a couple courses, but I, I, we had a hygiene track Um, we kind of, we basically had a a front office track as, as part of the, uh, practice management track, but I felt like, you know, we should, we got to give the chair sides a little more love. Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
0: Well, it all comes down to that time is our most precious resource. So we've got to do the most we can with our time. And another thing you, you just reminded me of, we have this phrase in fortune. We talk, we talk about learn it, live it, teach it. So you've got a learn all this information and then you live it. You, you know, you actually perform it. And then when you teach it to somebody else, you learn it so much deeper. So I love that idea of helping people do that.
1: Yeah. And you, you not only, you not only learn it deeper, but it forces you to justify why you're doing what you're doing because the the questions people have, you're like, oh, why am I doing that? Like, I, I think the most important thing that I ever teach is something called the reverse preparation technique. And it's a it's a way to prep teeth that I was forced to kind of come up with because my preps sucked for the first 15 years of my career. And when I got to Glidewell and we started filming all my dentistry, it became, now there was video proof of how bad my preps were. And I was like, oh my God, this is gonna have to get better really quickly. And so I tried to prep better and I'd concentrate. I'd really concentrate like, uh, it'd be like you trying to concentrate Kim and like move a glass across the table with your just mind power. You know, it, there's a (laughs) point where it doesn't matter how hard you concentrate or how much you try. It's just not going to get any better. And it was probably because of my hands, just the set of hands that I was born with. And so I just started going through old dental textbooks and reading every article I could find on how to prep teeth. And then I started just piecing together little bits and pieces from here and there. And I finally came up with a prep technique where all of a sudden, I remember the first time I did it, I looked at the prep and I was kind of amazed. I couldn't believe I had done that. And I, I handed the mirror to my assistant and I said, look at that. And she looked at it and she said, wow, and said, I said, I can't believe I did that. She said, neither can I. And I said, well, I did it, right? She goes, Yeah, you didn't pass out in the middle and then Gordon Christensen came in and finished it. That was that was that was all <laughs> you. And and that's what I love teaching because not everybody can be in the top 10% of their dental school class, you know, and not everybody's stuck in the bottom 10%. But there's other this other 80% of us that fall somewhere in the middle. And if I had never practiced inside of a laboratory where every one of my patients was a dental technician, everything was being filmed and magnified, and everybody was standing there watching it, I would have never been forced to get better. But I didn't really get better. I just kind of got smarter. I got a new technique. I got a way to do it. And as I was formulating this technique, as I would try to teach it to other people, they would say. Well, why do you do this? And I go, oh, that's a good question. Why do or why don't why do you do it now? Why don't you do it later in the technique? And that really helped to kind of shape it. And and now when I show that and teach that um, at the lectures that I do, I'm still learning things about it. I'm still finding out part. You know, I'll, it'll dawn on me a new reason why we do this because it helps the technician do this or it helps your assistant do this when they're making making the crown. So. There's times where, you know, technology uh, helps us. And then there's other times where you just find somebody like you look at some of the great coaches over time, guys like Pat Riley, Mm -hmm. Phil Jackson. They were not good players. They were not great players. They were Mm -hmm. just so-so players. And then you look at Wayne Gretzky trying to coach or Michael Jackson trying to coach. And it was kind of disastrous. You know, they ended up just being owners instead because the greats. It comes so natural to them that they don't, they've never had to think about it. And they get super frustrated when you can't do the same things they can do, which can't be taught because those are the truly gifted people. But it takes mm-hmm. a scrub like me or Pat Riley or Phil Jackson, look at me putting myself in the body <laughs> with some great covers. I think that's great. <laughs> it, it takes somebody with average abilities who has struggled and struggled to get better and then found a way to get better results with the still same average set of hands um, to kind of be able to pass that on. Because people who are born great at prepping or prep great dental school, they don't know how to tell you how to do it. They just they just do it. And, and so teaching that also you know does reinforce that as well. And so, you know, technology plays a role in it and sometimes just trying to do things Smarter with a better technique or a better set of instruments or a different burr or doing it, uh, in a different order can make a huge difference to, um, to a practice as well. And when it comes to single visit dentistry, Mm -hmm. I got lucky enough to need my first restoration last summer. So I went to my dentist. I went, I go to a a female dentist because I want somebody who's caring and concerned (laughs) and not obsessed with production. Um, (laughs) And I, she's a friend of mine. So I went and saw her and I had, um, I had not had any dentistry done since my dad had done an unnecessary buckle pit on me about 30 years ago. (laughs) And it's, it's good to have dentistry done again and remember what it's like. And there's no way I would have wanted to go back for a second visit and get numb again and do this. And I think just because patients are willing to accept to visit dentistry and then having a piece of plastic in their mouth for, for two weeks. Um, that's the way it used to have to be. And that's the way it's been for a long time, but it really is a, a leap forward. And if, if you're really going to talk about differentiating yourself from other dentists, you know, we're like it. 18% of the dentists in the U S have, um, a CEREC unit, the vast majority still don't. And the ability, um, to do it, uh, to do one visit dentistry and really make a difference in the patient's life, is a big deal. And a lot of times, like since I moved to Charlotte, um, I've started going on. Uh, I do triathlons, so I, I've started training with some local people here, and they'll say, "Hey, wh- where do you work?" And I'll tell them, "Dentist Place Runner." What do you guys do? Oh, we make high tech equipment for dentists. Like what? Oh, this thing that'll make a crown uh, in your dentist office in an hour instead of two weeks. And they're like, why doesn't every dentist have that? Right. I'm like, just just the dentists who give a crap have it. You know, it's kind of the (laughs) the, the dividing line that I say real quickly. But, you know, you do have to, you know, make an investment in that, in money and time and change the way you're doing things. And sometimes I think it's that change that's the biggest thing. And I'd be interested, Kim, you work with Mm -hmm. so many dental practices when it comes to Change and resistance to that. Do you? I mean, I'm I'm sure as human beings, there's always kind of um, an inertia. But um, is change one of the things that stops practices that want to be great from becoming great? Sometimes,
0: absolutely. I think that um, naturally, people you know want things to be steady and the same. And some some people are more more thrive on change, and other people like it to be so steady. And I think they just have to look at their belief systems and see what they believe about, about whatever it is that they're changing, whether it's, you know, buying a CERIC or, or even, you know, back in the day, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was putting the appointment book on the, on the computer. You know, that was a huge shift for a lot of people. So this is even an even bigger shift to move into CERIC. I think they need to look at their belief systems, but also they need to look at their why, you know, what's their why, as far as, you know, you're, People that you're running with or whatever would say, well, why doesn't every dentist do that? And so if they could really see that it's the best for the patient and that they have the most control over it. That's the other thing where my practices I've worked with that have brought Sarek into their practice, they realize, wow, now I have all the control over this restoration where I used to just send it out to this lab, have to come back and hope that it comes and fits and it's the right thing. But essentially belief systems and then looking at their why I think is the biggest ways that you can help people shift their thinking and, and, and make a change.
1: Yeah. And, um, there it's true. You do get to have control, um, over everything. Uh, but a lot of dentists shouldn't have control to be perfectly honest. <laughs> you know, when you see some of the stuff that comes into glide, well, some of the preps and impressions, mm-hmm. they, you know, some of these dentists shouldn't have control over the prep and impression, let alone, uh, <laughs> the, the crown. And, uh, you know, the, the, the lab saves them mm-hmm. a lot of times yes. and, and 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 really like, all right, well, let's see if we can make this work, but it's really not the way it's supposed to be. But you got a technician with 35 years of experience, so maybe they can turn this into something that will be um, serviceable. And, and and dentists for the most part aren't good at making crowns because they haven't made a bunch of crowns like a laboratory technician is. And so sometimes even here at Place Serona, we'll talk about giving dentists control. And it almost always makes me laugh because it's not like right now the crowns are being made by blind monkeys. You know, they're being <laughs> made by trained right. Right. dental technicians who can absolutely make a better crown um, than the average dentist can, especially if it's an anterior like Emacs crown. For example, just because that's what they do, for a living. My focus is on why do chair-side CAD-CAM crowns fit so much better than laboratory crowns, and it's because of the two-week waiting period. It's because of the temporary crown. That, to me, that's the thing that I really hate in this whole process is the two-week temporary crown. So when I started practicing at Glidewell, I would prep teeth and we would seat the crown two weeks later, just like most dentists still do today. And I was having to, you know, do a fair amount of occlusal and proximal adjustments. And I was kind of like, wow, I have my own personal technician. I practice inside a laboratory. I thought I was going to not have to, you know, keep adjusting crowns when I was finally working inside of here. It's kind of bugging me. I'm kind of angry that I'm still, I moved my practice inside a laboratory (laughs) and I'm still having to adjust work. And about a year later is when we got our first digital impression unit. And I started taking digital impressions and because Cindy could start designing the crown right away, um, she was getting the crowns back to me in like a week or so. And I started to notice that I had to do far less adjustments than I was doing if it was two weeks. And then I asked her, are you able to, can you get the crowns back to me in three days? And she's like, yeah, if you want it back in three days. And so, which was a mindset for me, because usually I thought, oh, the patient had an injection. They're not going to want to see me again three days later. Uh, wearing, mm-hmm. But they didn't have a choice because they were employees. They were you know, I was just forcing them, bending them to my will. <laughs> and so they had to come in three days later. And then very few of the crowns needed adjustment. And you know, then about a year after that, we started going fully CAD CAM at the laboratory, milling our own restorations. And so now I could take a digital impression. And two hours later, Cindy would hand me an Emacs crown. And now they never seemed to need any adjustments. I'll say never, but like one in every 30 might need an adjustment. And that's kind of when the light bulb went on for me. It's like, oh my gosh, it's not the lab or the quality of the lab. It's the time between the prep and the seat that determines how many adjustments that poor little crown's going to need. You're going to have to break the glaze and grind it all up and cause little micro fractures by adjusting it, and it's all because of that temporary crown. And you've got a dental assistant who's very well meaning and wants to take all the sharp edges off that temporary crown, so they mm-hmm. polish it really well. And it, it's very easy to inadvertently take that temporary crown out of occlusion. And every dentist knows that that tooth is going to super erupt in two weeks. It'll probably do it and start to do it in two days. Um, and then if it's seven hundred microns out of occlusion. Two weeks later, the temporary is in occlusion again and you try the crown in and now you're grinding mm-hmm. 700 microns or seven tenths of a millimeter off the top of a crown. And, and I'm here to tell dentists that it's not their lab. Um, it, it's kind of the, the temporary, it is the temporary, but I mean, it's, you know, if the assistant left a nice centric stop, it would minimize the problem, but even the patient chewing on it for two weeks. So my message is one of let's shrink the time between the prep appointment and the seat appointment 2 weeks is random it's arbitrary it's historical <laughs> mm-hmm. nobody knows why we do it if you can shrink it to a week that's even better every dentist knows that if a patient has a crown prepped and then for like financial reasons they don't come back for 4 months or 6 months the chance of the crown fitting is slim to none and i'm here here to tell you the opposite is true as well the closer you put the prep appointment and the seat appointment, the better the chance you're not going to have to adjust that crown at all, which is important because it's impressive to the patient when it fits and you don't have to sit there and grind on their new $1,400 crown. But not only that, when you grind on it, it does create micro fractures in the ceramic material or even the lithium disilicate material, or even the zirconia material that even though you polish the surface and make it smooth, these micro fractures still exist under the surface. Mm-hmm. And over time they connect and that's what causes the failure of restoration. So my story is let's shoot for three day dentistry. You know, let's shoot for prepping something on a Monday and, and, and bonding it or cementing it on a Thursday or Friday and Monday or however close we can get. And the secret to that is digital impressions. There's just no way to do mm-hmm. it unless you can send the impression to your laboratory, uh, five minutes after you finish the preparation and let them start working on it, do it the same day or overnight and then FedEx it to you to seat it on the third day, your life will change. Your crowns will drop in. Your patients will be more impressed. Your restorations will look better and last longer if you're not grinding on them. And of course, the ideal would be single visit dentistry where you're actually making the crown yourself. But even if you're not ready to take that leap really look at the benefits of moving the prep and seat appointment closer together with the use of a digital impression device. And at Glidewell, we gave doctors $20 off if they sent us a digital impression because we didn't have to pour the model, pin the model, saw the dies, articulate the model. It was ready to go and ready to design it. And I firmly believe that labs should reward dentists who invest in technology like this and therefore make the lab's a uh, job much easier than it used to be. And the dentist should be rewarded financially for taking that step and making everybody's life a little bit easier.
0: Wow, that is excellent advice. I love it. Just the digital impressions alone and shortening that cycle between, yeah, the prep and the seat appointment. Terrific. And then those folks who have invested in CERIC, and you say it's only 18% of doctors have invested in CERIC technology. Um, where do you see that going? Let's talk a little more about same visit dentistry.
1: Well, there was, um, that doesn't include everybody who got involved at Zero World 2016. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people um, who purchased units there and, you know, recently took delivery and are now being trained. And uh, it's very exciting to see all of them. There was a lot of people also who invested in um, the 3D cone beam technology, which allows you to just see things that, you know, it's funny. My dad was a, a dentist from. 1962 to like maybe 1995. And so he hasn't been practicing for a while. And every once in a while, I'll send him something that blows his mind and 3d Mm x-rays blow his mind. And even he, now he's saying things like, why doesn't every dentist have one of these? And uh, I was like, exactly dad, because that's kind of faultless. It allows you to see so much more than you could see on a regular x-ray. I think part of what had to happen with chair side cat cam was it had to become more versatile, and mm-hmm. so when we introduced Sarek zirconia at Chicago uh, Midwinter earlier this year, you know, at GlideWell when we introduced Bruxer uh, back in 2009, it very quickly within about a year became the most popular crown um, that we did at the laboratory, and the growth of it has been phenomenally huge between GlideWell and the the 205 authorized. Bruxer Lab Since 2009, there's been over 10 million solid zirconia crowns done. And that doesn't even take into account the other like 15 or 16 brands of solid zirconia. It just dominates as a material. And it was, you know, the one material besides PFMs and cast gold, I guess, that uh, the Sarek system could never work with. And so announcing at Chicago Midwinter that You could now do uh, solid zirconia in a single visit, brought a ton of people um, to courses at Astero World 2016 because they were using solid zirconia in their practice from their dental laboratory and really liked it and were happy with the results. And um, they didn't want to invest in the system if it was a limited system that wouldn't do solid zirconia. So that was a big step forward being able to do that. The Speedfire Oven. That we also oh, yes. um, announced mm-hmm. is is a great oven that allows you to not only center that zirconia, but all the other materials that you could use. And and Dennis loved this oven because unlike every oven that you'll see in a dental laboratory, this oven has no buttons or controls on it, which is perfect for a dentist <laughs> there's nothing to do, there's nothing to do wrong. You can't pick the wrong anything <laughs> it's hooked up to the software and completely controlled by the computer. So you can't make a wrong decision. It's, it's, it's dentist proof as, uh, you know, with, with me as an example, you can't really (laughs) screw it up because the computer controls the oven and, and that makes it simple and, and straightforward to do as well. You know, we continue to try to make the process of designing crowns easier and come up with better materials. So it continues to move forward. But, you know, the two biggest things have been when it became, um, a, a system that could do full crowns on it, uh, with the introduction of Emacs to it back in 2007 to the system, all of a sudden there was a nice high strength crown that could be milled and centered chair side. And now with the solid zirconia, it becomes a really, uh, versatile system as well. And the other area where you see people thriving with it and why they get involved. And I would guess that uh, a fair amount of the fortune, uh, doctors are doing this as well, is when you combine it with the comb beam, you get this amazing amount of integration where you can treatment plan, implants, Implants. and then using your your milling device, you can actually mill a surgical guide and then place your own implants with your own surgical guide and then mill your own abutment and crown to go on top. And guys like T-Bone, Tarun Agarwal was teaching courses on that at Sarah World 2016, along with others. But you, you have this ability now with the, since you can make your own surgical guides, you can essentially kind of place uh, implants uh, with the same amount of precision that um, a specialist might do who's freehanding it but has 20 years of experience because you're taking a ton of technology and throwing it at this issue. And all of a sudden, dentists are able to take patients who really don't want to be referred to. A sure. specialist, specialist, even though a lot of times it's in their best interest, mm-hmm. but they'd like to stay with the dentist. And you can start putting together some impressive treatment plans where start to finish, you can you know place the implant and restore the implant in just a couple visits. And uh, a lot of doctors are very excited by the prospect of, of being able to surgically place their own implants.
0: Well, a- absolutely. It's funny that you should mention your dad because like you, my dad was also a uh, a dentist. He, In fact, he went to oh. UOP. Dental school as well, and that is one of the exciting things. I love to come and tell him. You know, he's been retired for for several years now, but I say, Dad, you 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 won't believe how they, what they can see with these cone beam technology and placing implants. And he remembers back in the '80s when people were doing it blindly. So um, it it is truly incredible, even to my untrained, you know, non clinical eye. I look at these scans, and it's it's incredible. I would not want anyone to do any dentistry on me without it. Any invasive dentistry, at least.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, we did not learn how to do uh, implants in dental school. When did your dad graduate, by the way? What year? Uh,
0: 74.
1: Oh, 74. So he's Mm -hmm. 10 years younger than my dad. He graduated in 64. But when I graduated from that same school in 1988, we weren't being taught that cone beams in dentistry um, did not exist. And so I went the first 25 years of my career being afraid of placing an implant because they did use to like fillet people open and put in these <laughs> right. you know subperiosteal blades and even when root form implants started it was just like uh that's okay I don't I don't need to you know try to sleep at night worrying about that mm-hmm. and it wasn't until surgical guides and seeing just how precise these could be when obviously when combined with a comb beam that all of a sudden I remember my first implant cuz I did it while I was at Glidewell And we filmed it, and we released it on video on YouTube, and it's called My First Implant. That's our super creative title for that. (laughs) And it shows my first implant. And when I was done, I was like, that's the easiest thing I've done in a long time. That's easier than a three-unit bridge. It's certainly easier than prepping a full arch. It's easier than molar endo. Um, Placing your own implants with a surgical guide in a healthy patient with good bone is an insane— no brainer. Um, the surgical guides that are out there available for implant companies are super expensive. You know, I remember that first one being $950, uh, for everything and the block and the block that we sell Syracuse users to mill, you know, surgical guides is 48, $48, you know, obviously once you have the system, but it's, it's a great way to be able to provide something for the patients. It allows you to talk people out of bridges or like mm-hmm. that same patient who you tried to talk into a three-unit bridge 10 years ago and they said no huh. because they didn't know why you had to prep both teeth on either side of the space uh, of course their solution was for you just to like cement a pontic to the gingiva, which was a stupid idea but <laughs> they were just yearning for something that didn't involve prepping these two teeth next to the sea space and Now I like to pat patients on the shoulder, especially the men. And I go, you know what? Your procrastination has paid off. (laughs) You never wanted to do that bridge. And you said, you know, because you were being conservative, but I know it's because you were cheap and afraid. But guess what? We can finally, we can't glue it to the gingiva, but I can put a tooth back in there and replace it. It's simple and straightforward. We're not even going to touch those teeth on either side of it. So I love that, you know, we have a solution now to reward people who, Oh, I, I don't know if you want to say they were smart enough, but they mm-hmm. procrastinated long mm-hmm. enough on having that three-unit bridge done. And that's my other campaign in life, is to stamp out three-unit bridges as much as possible. And I'm happy sure. to say at the laboratory, we saw their numbers decreasing because it is kind of gross to have to prep you know two teeth next to a, an edentulous space just to be able to put a bridge there. We're not doing any favors to those teeth, and the perio is not going to get any better and the elegance of uh, using a surgical guide to precisely place an implant and then being able to mill an abutment or mill a custom temporary that's going to shape the gingiva, especially on an anterior tooth and then mill the crown that goes on top of it and kind of have it be one-stop shopping for the patient in just a couple visits is pretty amazing, pretty exciting. And that that whole story is pretty much why I left my last job uh, to come here because I could see, uh, this is the future. We've got 100% CAD CAM at Glidewell. And uh, it's very clear that this is where um, everybody's heading. You know, Some people are convinced sooner than others, as always happens. But as we continue to make it easier to use and more people are, are exposed to the technology and what it can do for them, uh, I see a very bright future for what we're doing here. And when they told me that you'll get to host all the serial world <laughs> meetings for the rest of eternity. I couldn't say no. You couldn't say no. It was too good of a job. Yeah.
0: It was a no brainer. That's awesome. That's all. Awesome. Well, I completely agree. We at Fortune absolutely support, you know, all of digital dentistry and all what you guys are doing. I always like for our listeners to learn a little bit about our guests on the show. Why don't you, um, Mike, tell us a little bit about your best personal professional advice you've, you've received over the years.
1: Um, well, my, um, my favorite quote is um it's a like an old african proverb and it's uh smooth seas do not make skillful sailors and you know if if when things go well in your practice and and hopefully um they do uh the vast majority of the time that's fine but i i used to get really kind of rocked when things would not uh, go well but those are are our true learning opportunities uh, in the practice to kind of get better but you don't necessarily have to wait for those moments uh, as well you know there's there's instructors out there who are willing to share their problems with you one of uh, one of my favorites is is Gordon Christensen and uh, Gordon has a DVD called you know, Dr. Gordon's, Chris, Dr. Gordon Christensen's 20 biggest failures. And I'm like, that is so cool. Awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. a kind of says some great humility to be able to learn, uh, from speakers and educators like that who are willing, uh, to share their, um, experience with you. And also I've very slowly, but surely come to the conclusion that quality dentistry is a choice. Um, it's not, it's not something that, um, you either may be able to do or may not be able to do based on your hands. You know, when I was in dental school, I struggled enough with the hand stuff where here here I was basically getting all A's in the book classes and found myself in remedial operative on Saturdays, <laughs> having to prep more teeth because my preps uh, were so awful. And to be able to get good results with my hands today proves to me that it's just a choice because 95% of the dentists you meet did not have hands bad enough where they ended up in remedial operative or remedial crown and bridge. And uh, it's, it's a choice to do the the right thing. It's a choice to maybe slow down a little bit. It's a choice to, you know, trust and train your auxiliaries uh, to help with that process as well. It's a choice to decide that you don't necessarily want to do things the same way that your father, the dentist was doing them you know, 30 years ago, you know, you want to stay true to those same, the same values. But my dad used to hammer or use a mallet and a stick to put crowns in, (laughs) you know, there's, there's not a need to do that today, unless I was using the same cement, super thick cement he was using 30 years ago. And whether it's, you know, the iPhone, when it didn't have a keyboard, and everybody freaked out when Steve Jobs decided not to have a mechanical keyboard on the iPhone anymore. Um, technology represents change. It represents a a disruption in the the way we do things. And um, that can be painful and that can be not fun, uh, but it's ultimately worth it. And it's ultimately worth um, your patients getting the results that you're capable of providing, whether it's providing crowns in one to three days or whether it's being able to use a 3D x-ray to see why that Root canal that you did on them eight years ago doesn't keep them up at night, but just doesn't quite feel right. And you take that cone beam scan, and you see that fourth canal that that got missed, and and now you know how to take uh, take care of it for them. So it's you know the growth process. As as much as it's easy to kind of shy away from it and want to keep the status quo, um, if we're not growing, we're we're kind of stagnating, and so. While your, you know, clinical dentistry hopefully goes smooth, um, the way you can put yourself not in a smooth sea and become a, a better sailor is to embrace, embrace technology, and the and the change and realize that you know the growing part is going to be a little uncomfortable. Hopefully, not completely painful and just slightly uncomfortable, but it re- result in um, you being more satisfied and your patients being. Uh, uh, more satisfied, and you being more proud, as well as your staff and the type of dentistry that you can provide your patients.
0: Oh, excellent! Such sage advice. Smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. I will put that in the show notes, along with your website, and I'll also put uh, Dentply Serona World information in there as well for all of our, our listeners. Thank you so much, Mike, for spending some time with me, and thank you for who you are for the the dental community and the future of dentistry. It's been awesome.
1: Thank you, Kim. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't add one one last, like, uh, parenthetical note that um, a dentist, uh, Josh Austin, um, in San Antonio, he and I do a podcast um, together too, where we we talk about dentistry and sometimes baseball. And um, we actually have a uh, a two parter coming up right now. Where um, I've always felt like in dentistry we have one of the harder jobs in the health profession because everybody's awake. And in medicine, they put everybody under to do (laughs) their surgeries. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, half the time I'm hoping the patient will pass out and I can finish the crown prep and then we'll bring them back with an ammonia inhalant. And so I've always felt like, you know, we, we really have it harder. And so we're starting to do a series where we're doing podcasts with other healthcare professionals to argue, you know, who has the harder hole to work in or who has the harder kind of job. Uh And we started off we started it off. We probably should have ended with this, but just because of scheduling, we started off with a gynecologist who's a friend of Josh's and we, um, (laughs) we talk about her job versus our job. And my intention was to decide that whatever happened, I was going to always say that, nope, dentistry's uh, but this was pretty tough to do that. And so that, that podcast is called the accidental geniuses, uh, podcast. So if you go to like iTunes or, wherever you find this fine podcast, um, and just, and look up accidental geniuses. You can find that I do with, uh, with Josh, it's kind of a blend of like, you know, humor and dentistry and whatever's on our mind. So thank you for having me. Yes, And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. I'll put the accidental genius podcast in the show notes as well. I'm going to check it out. Yay for podcasting. It's killer. Great job. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you. Have a good day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Practice Mastery Podcast. For more information on fortune management and to find an event in your area, please visit fortunemgmt.com.